Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musical storytellers. Presented by Spitfire Audio. Kenny Holmes, checking in. Robert, are you with me? I am so with you. I'm so excited about today's episode. We be rocking on so many fronts today. Yeah, it's just one after another. So many great composers this season and throughout the, doing this podcast. Uh, this is Score the Podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. And our guest today is Oscar and Grammy winning and now Emmy nominated composer Ludwig Göransson, known for Black Panther, The Mandalorian, Creed. He's also uh, Donald Glover's producer for all these amazing hip hop songs. Uh, the one, the record of the year from This Is America a couple of years ago or Correct. last year. Yep. Um, yep. And he's also has the the big film that keeps getting pushed back, but the the world will eventually see it. Hopefully, at the end of the month, uh, Tenet. Christopher Nolan's latest blockbuster starring John David Washington. And yeah. um, man, he's just been on fire from from day one. I think if you look up the the phrase crushing it, you get a full page picture of Ludwig. He's just yeah. dominating in so many areas and deservedly so because he's a huge talent. Huge star. And, and he's just to be able to do that on the film level – the pop level and to find time. I mean, I can't imagine how many phone calls he's just getting all day emails constantly. It must be so busy, um, but he's able to just nail it on everything. And uh, the Mandalorian season two is coming up, I think in October. Um, and that show, oh, wow. They, that show just cleaned house on the Emmy nomination. Super exciting. Uh, say hello as well to composer Carol who joins us. <laughs> hey guys. Hey guys. Composer Carol in La Casa. Uh, so we're going to get to Ludwig Gornson. We also have uh, a theme song throwback today. I'm very excited for this one personally because, uh, as I may have mentioned before on the show, I grew up watching professional wrestling. Um, not as much of a fan of it today, but um, in the early 90s, especially. Some of those big names. We have Jim Johnston, who's going to join us, who was a 32-year composer for WWF, WWE, and wrote hundreds of the theme songs that you know. Stone Cold, The Rock, Undertaker, Triple H, The Ultimate Warrior. So many iconic themes that are known all over the world, um, and we're excited to talk to Jim um, but before we get to those interviews, we want to take a moment real quick to thank our sponsor, Spitfire Audio, maker of vor orchestral virtual instruments for film composers, used by many of the guests right here on Score the Podcast. Yeah, Spitfire is the go-to place for everyone these days. If you're just starting out, they have the complete free range of top quality instruments called Labs. The new Discovery Edition of the BBC Symphony Orchestra is just 49 bucks. Also, you can get it by 
filling out a survey and you'll get it for free. It's a full orchestra at your fingertips. Yeah, it's really easy. You just go on the website, fill out the quick form, and it takes two weeks and you can get it for free. Or if you don't want to wait, you can pay 49 bucks. Most important for our listeners, though, is the deal. 20% off your first purchase of Spitfire products, including all the collaboration packages like the ones with Hans Zimmer, Olafur Arnolds, who just got an Emmy nomination, and uh, the London Contemporary Orchestra. Over 50 libraries that you can use the promo code, which is SCORE2020 lowercase score 2020 and you get 20% off your first order with Spitfire products to elevate your music and stick around after today's show. We're going to play a cue created using the BBC symphony package uh, that can help elevate your music. You'll be able to hear all the different tools and sounds that they provide in that toolkit. So use the promo code Uh, As we move forward here in season three, as I mentioned, now it's time to get to our special segment, theme song throwback. Oh, wow. It's theme song throwback. Awesome. 32 years, hundreds, if not thousands of iconic wrestling themes and also uh, all the different cues for the vignettes and just everything that goes along with uh, WWF, WWE. Joining us is Jim Johnston. Yeah. Jim, thanks so much for coming on Score the Podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm thrilled to be here. You're you used guys. to hearing the audience, right? I mean, when... Never, because I never... Uh, I, I have awful stage fright, so I've never gone out performing. Well, I was in a high school band, but uh, never with WWE. That's not true. I lied. One time I played Boston Garden uh, for a WrestleMania but there it was so surreal with that many people, you, you feel like you're invisible. But no, I, no, I'm behind the scenes safely in the studio. You stay locked up. Yeah, I, absolutely. Can I ask, Jim, where is your studio? Uh, my studio is in Connecticut, uh, Greenwich, Connecticut here. We're about uh, 40 minutes outside of New York City. It's really largely a commuter town to New York. Well, was before COVID hit. Yeah. And uh, who knows if it will remain that way. But it's a beautiful place to live, really rural. I'm definitely a kind of a country guy, not a city dude. I know Greenwich well. So So for for our fans listening, for our listeners, if you're not a wrestling fan, Jim, which I'm not, (laughs) Jim tells me he's not either, which is the the funny thing about all of this. Um, But wrestling theme songs, they're they're part of pop culture. I mean, you don't have to be a wrestling fan or watch every Monday night to to have heard Stone Cold Steve Austin's theme or be aware of The Rock and his theme and how important these yeah. themes are to creating these characters. And you did something incredible, which is stick with a show, if you will, for 30, 32 years and there's no off time. There's no off season. No, you know, if you're no scoring, if you're scoring 24 or the X files, you have some time <laughs> off. There's episodes, but you're on yeah. call yeah. basically for 32 years. Can you tell us how, what that was like? Uh, it's a, hey, it's an intense place, but I guess I'm a relatively intense guy. I like stuff like that. And I just have, such a deep passion for music and writing music that uh, I never grow tired of it. And, and I've been fortunate enough that I don't, if, well, I was going to say, I don't run out of ideas. My biggest frustration is I have way too many ideas to ever record because recording uh, 
no matter what style or genre, it takes a certain amount of physical time. You just can't. And I'm not really a assemble things with loops guy. I like to play them out. Like I, I, you mess around with drum loops and you just never quite has the right feel. You, you were tasked with writing theme songs for these mm. characters who are these larger than life comic book come to life characters. Mm. And yeah. it seems for a musician, like it could be a dream job. I mean, there aren't really many rules to writing a theme for some of these characters that you're, you're using all different types of genres. Can you tell us what the process is like for, you know, someone comes to you and says, we got a new guy coming out. He's called the undertaker. What do you do? A a multi-part answer, I guess, to your question. There is a comic book element to it. Mm. And not that I was smart enough to come up with this as a solution or as a, like, Hey, this is the way to go with this gym is I took it very seriously. I took it to be like a movie. Like these are, this is Darth Vader, this good guy's Luke Skywalker. They need themes. And when this guy comes out, we need to know he's the bad guy. And we need to know this guy's the good guy. And I tried to write serious things because to comic book them up, uh, you end up with just a, a, a trite, campy thing that I think has no substance to it whatsoever. Um, so in the case of Undertaker, I, that was a particularly difficult theme. I wouldn't say difficult to write, but uh, most of the time ideas come to me really quickly. A lot of times that's because the character is relatively transparent, of, you know, simple stuff. Like if he's a big, huge 400 pound guy, you're going to have a big, you know, plotting tempo to certainly start by saying this is a big, big guy. So you better get out of the way. And then the other guys are, you know, they're wiry and they're fast and they're moving around. So you want a fast, wiry tempo. So generally I start there. Undertaker is certainly an enormous man, but he's also, you know, kind of theoretically dead, which is problematic, which would imply (laughs) that he's not moving fast. (laughs) So, you know, I, the the first thing I try, I I was thinking that, you know, some big rock thing with all the guitars tuned down about nine octaves and that would be the root and, and everything just sounded horrible and trite and like, this makes no sense whatsoever. And uh, then I uh, just sat down at the piano uh, one day and uh, I, it just flashed into my head, this little, like a child playing a funeral. Like, like if you'd asked an eight year old, I, I need you to write something for Uncle Joe's funeral next week. So if you could just put something together, you know, what would that sound like <clears throat> on a kid's toy piano? And I literally wrote it. I don't, well, well, we'll try this and see if this works. But I, I wrote it really high on the piano, and and this really delicate. Um,
Nice. As soon as I did that, I, I knew that, okay, that that's the theme, but then I knew it's, it's not going to work on piano, so I made it a big church organ. And First of all, it's fantastic. It's very much film scoring approach to character and hmm. an emotion. Um, but when you've come up with that, you omitted the, the part that I'm very used to. Um, do you go back to Undertaker and say, Mr. Undertaker, sir, <laughs> do you like your theme? Or do you go to Vince or is there a boss or do you just turn it in and nobody bugs you? Robert, it's a very simple system. Uh, whatever Vince says goes. And ah. He makes the decisions. So, uh, yes, everything has to pass by him, period. Is he a musical guy? Does he sit in there with you when you're writing or just hear the final stuff? Well, hopefully he will not hear this interview. And the simple truth is that, yes, he would sometimes. But in general, that was not that made it much more difficult for me. It was much easier to just, you know, the easiest thing for me and would be the first thing I would ask any producer or director is, you know, I don't really need so much to know the story as just talk to me a little bit about what you want to feel. When you watch your film, what do you want to feel? You want to feel scared? You want to feel perfect, triumphant? Because if you, if you tell me the story first, then I'm going to start having my own opinions about what we should feel, but that may not be what you want people to feel. So that to me is the most important thing. And, and also for me, if a piece of music does not make you feel something, if it doesn't fundamentally change your emotional state by listening to it in some fashion, then it's not working. Mm. One of the things I find interesting about wrestling theme songs is if you watch the show as the composer, you're able to watch people react to your music, unlike a film or mm. a TV composer where your music plays on the show, but you're not seeing the audience watching the show going, ooh, I got goosebumps there, or right. I'm excited. Um, but one of the things that you did with a lot of these wrestling themes is almost create a, 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 a start to it where there's a sound that really signals something's about to go down. You're, you're driving the story forward. Cause with wrestling in the old days, it was just two guys wrestling it out and then they'd go to the back. But over the years w with the help of the music, you really created a story to help the audience understand and move along. And for example, like with stone cold, Steve Austin, when you hear that glass breaking, you know that someone's coming yeah. out to get, the smack laid down on him. Something's going to happen. Yeah, something out of control is going to happen. Where did that idea come from to start with a sound effect or a catchphrase? If you smell... If you smell what the rock is cooking. That's such a brilliant idea to signal to the audience, and it really creates electricity in those arenas. An entrance theme is, so, is very unlike a song in that songs have introductions that kind of ease you into it mm. and for the most part uh film scores do the same for the most part with uh star wars being one of the rarest exceptions every time it starts with that you know star wars across the screen 
And that just sucks you into the world instantaneously. It's like, okay, sold. I'm in. I haven't paid for my ticket yet. I'm putting my money down now. <laughs> there are two things that need to happen in an entrance theme. You, you want the audience to completely pop and anticipate what's going to happen next. Like, here comes Stone Cold. Uh-oh. You know, this guy's screwed. Poor guy who's, <laughs> you know, or, or he's going to get run over by a, a, a mail truck or something. <laughs> um, the other thing is backstage to get the wrestler and help get the wrestler into character because they have to, they sometimes have a tough job in that they, you know, you know maybe they got divorced that day or something. Well, they still have to get all fired up and be this character live in person tonight in front of this gigantic crowd. So it helps the wrestler get into character, get fired up, feel good about themselves, uh, get just get in a place where they're anxious to yeah. go out there. Can right? you walk us through a little bit your your Stone Cold theme? Nice. How, you, how that evolved? Oh, well, it, was, it was so, uh, it, you know, the, the best things that I've written are so simple. I, I'm such a believer in simple works. You know, a great a great example of that is people love to show how well they can play or they want to be perceived as sophisticated or I'm very deep. And yet one of the greatest writers of our time, Paul McCartney, if you listen to his stuff, he plays the most simple chord. He never plays, you know, an A flat ninth, 11th flat sixth. He, he plays... You know, C chord, G chord, A minor, F. Boom. Done. Okay, great. Thank you very much for writing one of the most iconic songs in pop history. Let me ask you this. When when they bring you Stone Cold, do you get pictures? Do you get, like, what do you get to write? Do you Are you able to see how he walks out to the ring? Do they give you anything to mm. develop? Uh, if I can get any footage of the person walking, that's really important. Because everyone walks with a tempo. It, it is most important for uh, the, the talent to have a theme that that matches their internal tempo. Going back to what you said earlier about I had the the nice gift of being able to see my music play and how are people reacting? Does it seem to be going well? One of the things I always looked for the first time something played was watch watch the person walk down the ramp. And if they look confident and they're just, you know, cruising down and everything looks good, you know that, okay, this is working. But likewise, I could tell in a second if the music is either holding them back or pushing them like like someone literally pushing them down the ramp, going faster than they want to go. And you got to change the tempo to match that. Do you have to be at a certain level? Do you have to be at a certain level as a wrestler? to merit a Jim Johnston theme song? In other words, you're talking about seeing them walk down the ramp. Well, who is lucky enough to have the privilege of getting your eyes on how they walk so that you can write <laughs> a theme song? Really nice of you to say, if only it was even partially true. It certainly was never perceived as the fortune of getting a Jim Johnston theme. But there was a correlation 
particularly early on, well, very early on, only the top few guys had themes. And, and it was only something you got by probably winning a title of some sort. And then it began to sort of filter down. And in the early days, something I utterly disagreed with, but uh, if you were a bad guy called a heel in wrestling parlance, it was purposefully bad. Vince wanted the music to be bad. So it was stuff like toilets flushing or something, you know, it was just so over the top, say like, okay, this guy's bad. All right. He's a loser. Boo him to death, please. There's no question about it. Um, but later, uh, fortunately, things changed. And uh, I uh, was like, why, why can't the music be great? It's just for a heel. I mean, it's Darth Vader's theme. Yeah. Great theme. I mean, it isn't like that's bad music and Luke got a good thing. It's Well, there's a big noticeable difference if you watch really old wrestling and just – two people are in the ring standing there and then they start wrestling versus like the entrances. The music makes such a difference in just the excitement level of watching that. Stone Cold. Well, I'll give you a two second Stone Cold. So I, the, the, the main thing I approached with his thing, it just had to be uh, driving. He's, he's, he's not fast. He's not slow. It's just, duh, duh. He's just, it never stops. He'll never, ever stop. He just keeps coming. So it had, somehow the rhythm had to reflect that. And, and so it, it, it's such a, it's three notes. Cold that works. Hey, simple, simple works, you know? And the glass breaking, was that something that, where did that idea come from? Um, I knew I had to come up with a sound and the sound of 20 by 20 foot glass patio door that's huh. eight inches thick blowing up in your face that represented Stone Cold and uh, I got all sorts of sound effects of glass breaking and nothing sounded any good. So that glass break is a mix of uh, two, the biggest glass breaks I could find, uh, a car accident, uh, an explosion, and uh, some low drum hits. But and it reads, it re you know, you get that high tinkling uh, glass sound in there and it just reads as a glass break. You've been able to work with some superstar rock star bands um, over the years. It's all about the game. And are you playing? All about control. If you can take it. Yeah. Yeah. God, it's so much fun. To write yeah. a theme, like, for example, with Triple H, you you did a theme with Motorhead. Three, as a matter of fact. Multiple themes. Multiple themes with Motorhead. Bow down to the, bow down to the Multiple themes with Motorhead. And I, I think uh, P.O.D., P.O.D., Saliva. Are you a rock star guy, though? Do you Is that something that you were excited about? I mean, you're, you're coming from an orchestral guy, but you do, 
you're all over the board with the genres, but when these big rock stars come in the room, were you guys meshing? I don't tend to be very impressed with myself, so I'm not concerned about walking into a room and it's like, am I being respected here? You're too modest. Looking back on your uh, wrestling theme song career, do you have mm-hmm. a, a, I hate to say a favorite, because that's mm. just a, a, a weak question, but do you have a a particular score that you're most proud of, maybe something that you accomplished or you, you were stuck on for so long and then you finally came up with something and it was just a total home run. The thing that jumps to my mind right now is uh, the theme I wrote for gold dust. It is so not a wrestling theme. It's movie music. I tried to do it one time with with uh, live strings, and they said, oh, "Sorry, we can't play it because it, it it's an all horrible keys and changes keys like every four three bars or something." It's nothing like Vince was expecting, and but I but I commend him. Um, one of the best parts that what I admire most about Vince is that he loves to be surprised. Mm. And I find that uh, an attribute of a lot of really successful and creative people is they come off like they're very sure of themselves and they know what they want. But their favorite thing is to be surprised and say like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. But Wow. That really works. So good. It's such high quality music. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. We really appreciate the time. And um, so interesting for us. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's very flattering and humbling. And um, I can't thank you enough. He's Jim Johnston, 32 years with WWE. Oh, wow. It's theme song throwback. Awesome. Wow, 32 years with no off-season, Robert. I can't even imagine what that must have been like just to be on call, getting calls for for themes, for, I mean, he's scoring all the vignettes. I mean, there's so many cues. Uh, He told me that someone looked it up and he had like 100,000 cues in his BMI thing or something like that. Something crazy. Um, But Jim Johnston, the young wrestling fan in me can't believe that we just had that conversation. If you enjoyed that segment theme song throwback with uh, Jim Johnston and want to hear more, we're going to put the full raw interview up as a bonus episode so you can check it out. So uh, wherever you find our episodes every week, whether it be Apple podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio, radio, uh, we're going to put the full episode up You probably already know that if you are subscribed to the show. And if you're not, while you're there, please click subscribe. And uh, if you have the option to rate or review the show, please take a second to do that. It takes just a few moments, and uh, it really helps the show grow. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Oscar and Grammy-winning and now Emmy-nominated composer Ludwig Gorenson joins the show. Stick around. We'll be right back. Blockbuster. The winner of Adweek's Creative Podcast of the Year returns. Film is a hobby, not a career. I know, Dad. James Cameron. James Cameron. A movie for your ears. James Cameron. What, me? No, 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 no. This isn't what I envisioned. It's a bad idea, okay? About the world's most ambitious filmmaker. It has to be perfect. Just say, I'm the king of the world. What? Why would I yell that? 
Blockbuster. Get it wherever you get your podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Joe Trapanese. You're listening to Score, the podcast. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Score, the podcast presented by Spitfire Audio. Joining us now is one of the fastest rising stars in the music and film industry today. He's an Oscar and three-time Grammy-winning composer, music producer, and musician. Some of his big, big projects of 2020 include Christopher Nolan's blockbuster film Tenet, season two of Disney's The Mandalorian, and Trolls World Tour. Please welcome to the show Ludwig Gorenson. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Ludwig, it's been a busy year. It's been a lot of busy years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sure has. I mean, uh, tell me, in this kind of life that you are leading, which is maybe the life you always dreamed, do you think, well, I'll take a vacation in this period coming up, or does it never even occur to you that a break is ahead of you? Is it just pedal to the metal until they move on to some the next Ludwig? Get me a young Ludwig. Do you ever think about taking a break? Absolutely. I think that's that's it's a great question because it's I'm actually right there in the middle of this. Uh, what you're talking about right now? I'm I'm. Uh, I've never taken a break so far. I think in in anyone's career, the most difficult part of your job is to say no. Um, mm. And especially when you're, you know, when you're working in, in Hollywood and, you know, there's a lot of competition and also a lot of people measure their success in how busy they are, which is strange because, you know, it's, 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 you don't really get, a sense of, I don't know, sometimes it's hard to kind of understand like, well, is it, am I more successful if I'm really busy or am I more successful if I do things that makes me really happy? Um, I love that. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else, which is I know a couple composers, you know them too, who decided I'm taking a year off. Mm-hmm. And, and it was always interesting to see how far into that year they got before they got the call from Ridley Scott or Ang Lee or some director they always wanted to work with and then caved. Do you think about a whole period of sort of turning off your phone and being away from it? Is it that the way you envision a break? So the way I envisioned it is um, right now I'm I just had a baby or it's like nine months old now. Oh man. Wow, congratulations. Yeah, I it, didn't know that. That's yeah, great. It was just it was it was kind of in the middle of the Mandalorian where we were, you know, um The child. The child, the baby. Um <laughs> uh, so did you name it? I mean, because you're Ludwig, is it is the baby Amadeus? Is that by any chance the name you picked? You know, we were trying different kind of ways and my my wife is a musician, she's a violinist, so I I feel like if you know if we would have gone Wolfgang or Amadeus or it would have been a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you already surpassed the pressure of uh, being named Ludwig and uh, yeah. skyrocketing to the top of the uh, industry. So no pressure. Yeah, What's your baby's name? Uh, his name's Apollo. Oh, that's, oh, that's great. So, so he doesn't have to be a great composer. He has to be a god. The god of music. <laughs> or a boxer. Right. Or a boxer. So, so you were saying that you, how you envision a break for yourself. Yeah. So right now I'm, I'm in this great spot in my career where I've uh, been lucky and fortunate enough to work with some incredible artists, filmmakers, you know, um, uh, singer, songwriters, producers. I've, I've, I've worked with people that I really admire and that really challenge me and I'm so content. So right now um, I've been able to take, I'm going to, after Mandalorian season two, I have like a one year or six to 12 month window where I don't have any projects lined up until twenty end of 2021. So, and then, and then mentally also knowing that I'm having, you know, no, knowing that I have projects coming up in a year, it makes it a lot easier for me to be able to prepare myself that I'm going to take a break. Do you entertain stuff though? Like if you say you're taking time off, do you call your agent and say, no calls? I don't even want to know. Cause you could be in your off time and maybe your dream gig gets a phone call and, and do you come back? That's probably a challenge you might have to face. Uh, that that's definitely a challenge, and um, but I know that. Um, I mean, I feel like I don't know. I I feel like I'm doing all my dream gigs right now, and and I hope you will play this sentence or paragraph back in six months to remember <laughs> what you said, because somebody's going to call you and say, "I don't care that you're sitting by a beach and." you know, Costa Rica or you're in a castle in Ireland uh, chilling, man, can you just, I, I really need you for this one show. And it's, this has been the Robert Kraft uh, therapy session on Score the Podcast. Yes. This is the first uh, deep dive here. Anyhow, Ludwig, this has been a great chat. I'm so glad you could join us so I could do a little therapy. <laughs> Ludwig, really let's, let's start with uh, let's start fresh here with our audience because you've done plenty of interviews and we've heard some great stories about uh, some of the big films and, and stuff you've worked on. But we want to learn a, bit, a little bit about you and um, where you grew up first off. Uh, where Where did you... Where where were you born? I was born in a city called Linköping. It's two hours south of Stockholm. It's about one hundred thirty thousand people um, living there. And uh, my dad uh, is a guitar teacher, or is he's retired now? He was a guitar teacher at the like the communal uh, the, at the regional music school. Um, and my mom uh, was a florist. Wow. Do they have a statue of you in that town yet? Uh, no. They were, I'm, I'm tr trying to have them work on it, but <laughs> no, no interest. So did you, learn, did you learn guitar then first? Is that, was that, because uh, we know you're a guitar player, but was that the he, first instrument you started on? Yeah, my dad, I think when I was about five, he bought me one of those like little Chiquita travel guitars. It was tiny, um, but it would fit in my body perfectly. I love those. It was great. And we were sitting uh, about like 15 minutes a day, every day, just playing some like blue songs or some scales. And just, it was, 
you know, at that age, between five to seven, you just kind of do what your parents tell you to do. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I got to hang out with my dad for 20 minutes, you know, nice. and, and it was like, it was kind of like a, a just chill bonding time. Um, Did you feel totally attached to music at that moment? Because sometimes five to seven, you start to think, I really love this. You know, this is, this feels right for me. I, I didn't have that kind of attachment yet. Although music was always around me. My sister played violin. My dad played in so many different bands. And I remember when we used to go to my sister's uh, orchestra performances, my dad was sitting next to me. And I was kind of bored, you know, it was like one hour symphony concert and he would, uh, my dad would lean into me and he would like tell me, describe making up stories, what was happening in the music, like create, create scenarios. And That's stories. amazing. That's yeah. film music. Yeah. That's storytelling. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when I was uh, eight years old, I heard, because my dad was a t- guitar teacher, so he had to learn um new music for his younger students. He was, he came from a classical guitar background, but so many of his students wanted to play electric guitar. So he had to learn electric guitar and he also loved blues, but a lot of his younger, younger students were into heavy metal in the nineties. And my dad was, I don't think he, in, he was a little bit on the defense about it in the beginning, but I would hear him in the basement, like practicing and I remember, I remember this memory when I was about eight. I went down because it was so loud, and I opened the door and I saw him like rocking out, <laughs> like, distorted guitar and playing this music I never heard before. I was like, "What is this, Dad?" And he's like, "This is Metallica, Enter Sandman." And I think right at that point, it was like when my musical, when I, it was like a divine moment. Oh, that's great! Yeah, that's great. I watched. Um a video of you recording Redbone. Mm-hmm. Mm. And, and now you are not only playing guitar and also finding super cool effects. I wonder if it was the effects that you used and you said it had a certain kind of funk 70s vibe. They're so far before your time. I always thought that guitar line was an electric sitar. But you have it set on a kind of, it's almost like a wah-wah kind of setting. But you not only became a guitar player, I see you then really effortlessly playing bass, Mm -hmm. playing keyboards. Mm -hmm. Was that becoming clear? Eight years old, ten years old, that Ludwig is really Ludwig? (laughs) Well, I think... Since I heard for the first time I heard Metallica, like my interest in playing, learning those those songs, like became kind of obsessive. Like I, I started practicing. I played five hours a day, like trying to learn all the songs all by the ear, solos. by ear, and then tablature. Um, my dad bought the tablature books when we went to London, um, and then I got into like some more technical. Um, guitar uh, music like Joe Satriani was a big inspiration of, mm. of mine. Um, and also my mom wanted me to play saxophone and keyboards and piano. So in Sweden, like it's so music education is so um, it's free and it's, it's open for everyone. And I went to, I, so I took a lot of different music classes as a child. And then I went to my elementary school was a music 
elementary school in mm-hmm. my hometown. So we had choir every day, like an hour, one to two hours of choir every day, and also theory lessons and, and history, music history lessons in elementary school. So, and all my friends were interested in music at the time. And so we started a band together and it was... What was the name of the band? Uh, the first, we had different names, but the first name was Thrombosis. Good one. And then we went from Thrombosis to Polite, which is kind Ooh, of That's a great name. <laughs> I love that name, Polite. And that was Maybe a heavy it, metal band? It was a death was a, metal yeah. band. Death it metal was, band called Polite? That's so it nice. was like hard, hardcore music. Um, so we fast forward now. You you went to USC. Um, were you was film music on your mind? Did you, did you have an interest in scoring films, or what was the end goal for you in music at the time? Well, USC was was the, that was a film scoring program. So at the time, that was my the, my mindset was to do film scoring. Um, but you had to go from thrombosis. All the way through to you went from polite to film scoring. Where to where co- did the interest well, to college? Go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. In in so from thrombosis and just a John and Metallica, I got I, like I really love playing guitar and and also my dad got me a little a portable cassette recorder, so I started recording my own songs and I, and it was something about the technology I liked too um, about being able to record and I remember getting an eight channel um adat not dead it wasn't adat it was like a fostex recorder eight channel i had it oh you had it it was white oh, do two cassette did you record to a cassette eight first, channel first cassette and then three years later i got a it was it was a hard drive it's a mm. digital recorder eight channel recorder nice um and i got a drum machine and so so the technical aspect of like trying to recreate songs exactly how they sounded on the albums was was something that i was interested in and um but but amongst my friends it was i I like to play in the bands and i also like to it was almost a little competitive to kind of show off how good you are at your instrument and um when i reached this i reached a level in like the technical rock or metal you know i i was always looking to like what's the next challenge and and my teacher introduced um uh in co- in high school, he introduced me to Pat Metheny, mm-hmm. and uh, through Pat Metheny, uh, I got really into jazz. Um, so I started listening to like George Benson, Wes Montgomery, um, Kurt Rosenwinkel, uh, who's still one of my biggest idols, um, and Keith Jarrett. So in 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 high school, it was mostly about learning jazz, um, and then I was trying to figure out what's the next step musically educationally in 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 sweden where i can really um what's where i can really challenge myself and i'm surprised you didn't go a route that would have been really obvious which is i'm going to be a a rock star i'm going to start a band and i've learned to record and i've learned to produce and i'm playing guitar and i'm crushing it and i'm going to go kind of get a record deal was that at one point a consideration you're going to be the next swedish kind of rock band and there's so much cool music in Sweden with all the songwriters and pop music. That would yeah. have been yeah. Have, that was coming after Max. And, that, and well, it's funny that you bring that up because that was also on my mind in high school when I, you know, I started out with a portable four four channel cassette recorder, but then in high school I got a 
computer and I started working Cubase and I started working with sounds and pop songs. And I, and obviously Max Martin is a huge star there. And, and, and I, he was, he was, he was a big idol of mine. And, and, and I, at one point I was like, I want to be a, a producer. I actually sent a demo to his uh, company in high school. Right on. Um, but uh, I got it back with like a needle through this CD. I said, then it's just like, we don't take any submissions. <laughs> Have you ever met Max Martin? Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're buddies now. And has he now said, you know, not only did I miss <laughs> listening to your demo, but he, his, his, dream is to be you <laughs> no I, I, don't, I don't think his dream is to be me but but uh he's such a great guy and I, I love that too it'll be cool when you guys work together unless you already have we did on i have on trolls, on trolls i was gonna say i yeah. thought suddenly it occurred to me as i'm saying it that you might have yeah he's worked with justin was mm-hmm. he involved in song production or yeah, songwriting we, we wrote two songs together on on trolls too we had three Man, days it's just full circle yeah I don't know if about that year off, we might want to reconsider this. <laughs> so you come to USC, which is really, uh, actually, Kenny, you were asking, you know, there has to be a minute where you think, I'm not going to be a producer. I'm going to try film scoring. Is that the next challenge? Yeah. So in high school, my high school was in a town called uh, Norrköping, which is 30 minutes east of my hometown and they have a really good symphony orchestra, professional symphony orchestra in that city. Hmm. And last year of high school in my, it was a musical high school. I went to music high school and three lucky people in my class were selected to write a piece for the orchestra. And a bunch of people submitted, um, submitted, uh, ideas and, and compositions, but I was one of the lucky ones that got, um, picked. So I wrote a five-minute piece uh, to the symphony orchestra. It was called Five Minutes to Christmas. And it was very inspired Great by... name for a movie. <laughs> Go ahead. You got, a, you got a big smile on your face when you said that. Does that mean a lot to you? Uh, oh, that moment was huge for me. Yeah, just hearing my music performed by a 70-piece orchestra for the first time. Um, did you chart? I mean, did you literally... Pencil the paper or finale yeah. or one of those things you, you wrote out the that whole was, arrangement. That was at the time where, where we did everything by hand. So great, great we, had, <laughs> yeah, we had the part like the, the, you know, I don't know how many yeah. staffs it was, but yeah, I did it by hand and my handwriting is terrible. So it took a long, long time. Um, but the music was very, at that time I was kind of obsessed by, I had, I think, Kazam or whatever it's called, DC Plus Plus. So I was just downloading all the different theme, main themes from John Williams, and I was also obsessed with uh, Night Nightmare Nightmare Before Christmas. Hmm. Uh, so the movie, the the music I wrote for the orchestra sounded kind of like Nightmare Before Christmas slash Star Wars. Obviously nice. not, not obviously not as good. <laughs> <laughs> Two good inspirations there. Yeah, but great the, inspirations. Yeah. yeah. Are there vocals? Are there vocals uh, like in Nightmare? No, no, no. It's, it's Chorus just, or it's just full on orchestra, yeah. in, instrumental. So that that kind of turned your mind into film scoring a little bit. Was that winning that contest? Yeah, it, it was not a contest, but it was it was me and two other people in my class that got we our submissions got picked, and um, 
uh, and sitting there in the audience and hearing, you know, I was 15, no, 17 maybe, and hearing my music game performed by an orchestra, it was a huge moment. And to me, I was like, okay, this is incredible. I want to do this again. Um, I have no idea how. Um, hmm. I could have I could have applied to composition in Sweden, in Stockholm, or but also I know those I know if you study composition in college in Sweden, it's very much more geared to kind of modern, like very much modern composition. Um experimental um and at that time i was not that into that type of composition i was more into like film scoring type yeah well you chose right going to usc because they have quite a a list of the alumni there that uh, ended up doing hollywood films and i know there's a story out there that you you met ryan coogler while you were in college at a party or something like that and um his first film, Fruitvale Station, was that his first film or first, at least first that got picked up, right? Yeah, that was the first. Um, I, uh, sorry, before we move on to that, I just want to finish with the, uh, because USC is actually, US, the, U, the film scoring program at USC is a grad school. Mm-hmm. So I master's. had, yeah, it's a master's. So I had to go, to, I, I went to undergrad and my, because I, I like playing guitar and I like jazz and and also the jazz program in Stockholm in college um, at the Royal College of Music is is really great. Like some of the professors are incredible, hmm. um, and it's also very difficult to get into that program. So many people apply, and uh, so I studied jazz improvisation there for three years. Did you think you would come to USC for you know like the Thornton School of Music, or were you really focused on I'm going to the film scoring program? Um, no, I was always had it in my mind in college that I was going to apply to Thornton School of Music because I wanted to go, I wanted to study film scoring in LA. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, listen, there's no, as somebody once told me, I'd rather be lucky than smart. You know, there's no replacing the great karma of you meeting Ryan I know mm-hmm. he was a student filmmaker and he needed music and you guys bonded. I mean, I've read the story over you, you were surprised that he knew certain bands and he was surprised that you knew certain bands or movies and you just hit it off. And yeah, he had a five minute student film. Was that it? He had a five minute student film called uh, locks. And, and was it written for an orchestra or for electronics or what did, what kind of score could you pull together as a student? Um, the score we did, the, there was no dialogue in the short. Mm. So the score was more, it was kind of ambient. It was very heavily like guitar driven mm-hmm. uh, and, and some ambient synths. And I just remember at the time, like this was Ryan's, I think Ryan's first short film. So he had never worked with a composer before. Uh, this is one of my, like I never worked. I think I've done like a few short films, but I hadn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience and I was sitting in a dorm um, at USC. I was living on, when I moved to the States, I moved to, first I moved to Chris Young's house at the Tilden house uh, because I, I, 
somehow I heard a podcast and in the end of the podcast, he was like, if, if you're a composer out there in the world, want to move to LA, just hit my, hit Susanna up and I'm going to arrange for you to be living with me and it's going to be great. So I, I emailed <laughs> that, that email link his, or the, the, his, his assistant at the time and, and they got me a house, um, did he have a lot of takers? Were you staying with a bunch of film composers that heard that podcast? Or? Yeah. Yeah, I stayed with like the four film composers, one from Australia, one from Berkeley. And uh, it was great. I mean, the only problem was that it was very, it was far from USC. It was in Culver City. Oh, yeah. And mm. I, didn't have, I didn't have a car. Um, <laughs> so I would take the bus every morning uh, for like, you know, sometimes the bus didn't show up. It took me about two hours to get to campus, and uh, and uh, uh, it was also it was it was I never lived so so far away from home. So, yeah. and I had my band in Sweden, and my girlfriend at the time was in Sweden. So it was like a very difficult time. I remember. Um, but after a month, I'm actually moved to Twenty um, Eighth Street in hmm. uh, right by campus, which is which is fraternity street. And I had never heard of, you know, I've seen American pie. <laughs> so it really, it literally felt like I moved into American pie film set because if like all, everyone looked the same, all the fraternity boys was living on one side of the street and sorority girls on one side of the street. I was living in a fraternity house that got, it was close. The fraternity has gotten thrown out of the house because they had too many like drugs at their parties so it was only mm. open for in, in grad students international grad students but anyhow i lived in this house and ryan came over and we we're sitting in my little dorm with both had headphones on there was like people like partying outside and we were like trying to work on this movie together and i i remember playing him my first cue and like he kind of freaked out it was like oh my god it's like you know never heard like it was like an experience you never had before like under like seeing music hearing music to something you created. It was, it was, you know, it was, it was, we're kids at the, and we're discovering art at the same time. That's so beautiful. And you know that that, what you described, the oh my God moment means that you nailed it and elevated the picture because he could have said, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, like you, so, you know, you read the film. I wonder, were you, I mean, just, your technology at that moment, were you locked to, and writing to picture or were you just dumping ambient sounds on top of images? No, I was, I was, I was locked in logic. Um, nice. I had a picture in front of him and I had recorded, I recorded a cue specifically for, um, for the scene. And he was, he was taking that. Um, it was a, it's a class that you see with Kenny Wood, um, incredible, uh, music editor and, and teacher, unfortunately yeah. passed away. Um, last year um and he what was so important about kenny wood's class was that he had a class where film composers and directors were in the same room together discussing yeah discussing music and sound so ryan was kenny made ryan aware at a very young age about the importance of sound and music in, in film boy did he take that even you i mean we're we're jumping all over but I am really amazed as, and I want to stay with the chronology, but your ability with music and sound is really interesting to me. And it's very much, you know, the word, it's not avant-garde in the 
way of that it's way out there, you are leading a generation of composers in combining samples, ambient sound, acoustic instruments, mm -hmm. um, orchestra, choir, 808s in the same cue. And I wonder, I mean, it, you know, of course, we can, we'll get there with Killmonger and, and the amount of sort of channels coming into your brain to write a cue like that. For that first cue with Ryan, was it all in the box? Did you play live at all? It was, it was uh, me playing guitar and then some synths. And then, so when you get to Fruitvale... You know, I've read that you sampled some the, ambient sound from the, the Bard station. station. Yeah, yeah. And what what prompted you? Had you been listening to sound designers? Was that Kenny Woods class? That's what made me think of it. What prompted you to think I'm going to incorporate real sound into a cue? I think I was. I mean, what a big part of it was Ryan was so interested in. He, that was one of the things he always brought up when we started working on something. How how we can combine sound and music and and kind of it, he opened up my 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 mind for it. That was Ryan. It's incredible. Yeah, and you've yeah. stuck to that because you know we've read that you not only with Fruitvale Station but you went to Philly mm -hmm. to kind of take it in. You seem to like to go on trips and really soak up the place that you're doing. A film you you know you traveled to Africa for Black Panther. Why do you think that's important for you to to go there physically? I mean, you could just research on Google and and figure stuff out, but you're going there, you're sampling stuff, so you're you're recording sounds to add to the score, but you're also taking in the atmosphere. Why why is that important to you? Well, I just feel like it's more it's more fun for me, and it's more <laughs> fun for the director and for everyone to experience it that they feel to make them feel like they're in their own world. You know, I want to create a soundscape that's a, 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 a new sound world for every project I'm, project I'm doing. And the only way to do that for me is to be immersed in the experience from, from the very beginning to, you know, um, yeah, from Fruitville Station, I recorded the actual sound from the bar trains and took those sounds and manipulated them into pads. And, um, is there anything melodic in those sounds that you shape or do you just use it as kind of ambient or rhythmic or textural? It was, I used it as, like I said, as a rhythmical pattern, just a train kind of sound. And then I used it also, I kind of created notes and tones at different uh, intervals from, from the different trains. I think, we were talking to Dan, Daniel Pemberton about this a little bit too, but why go through all the trouble when maybe the audience or the, the movie watcher is, won't even know that that's the BART train in the score? What, what is it about the personal feeling of that for you? Is there some sort of a, a feeling of accomplishment to like add some sounds that you know? It's like a little Easter egg for you almost. I think, I think even if people don't know, I mean, I, I don't, that's not important for me that they know exactly where it comes from but you know there's there's when you watch a movie you know i i don't want them to think about oh this i'm hearing the bar train sound like it's it, if i'm able to 
to do an experience that just some somewhere in the back of their minds they're like oh you know it's it's it has it reminds it's me important to you it doesn't the audience doesn't have to know but it's really it's almost like a costume or says you might not know that the um suit the guy's wearing was actually a suit that was worn in 1930s and that's the yeah. fabric and that's the guy the yeah. audience will just say oh, that's they won't even say it just like yeah. with music they won't know but for you designing the costumes it's i can imagine artistically it's a sort of authenticity that you can stand on with the cue and i yeah. think kenny do you think we should catch our breath and digest how all the content from our guest <laughs> yeah we'll take a quick break much more to come with ludwig gornson stick around we'll be right back hey there fans of score the podcast i'm david w collins creator and host of the soundtrack show for iHeartRadio. like you i love score the podcast and the soundtrack show is the perfect complement if you're passionate about music for film tv even video games and theater each week, I do a deep dive into some of the greatest scores of all time, as well as some fan favorites, and talk about why the music moves us from a character and story point of view. We also learn fascinating behind-the-scenes stories and share the history and background that brought each piece of music to life. It doesn't matter if you're a musician or not. Music is a language that we all understand. And through our love of movies like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Back to the Future, or even classics like Casablanca or Psycho, we can gain a deeper appreciation for how composers are speaking to us through music, explaining why we have such a powerful reaction to the images on screen. The Soundtrack Show is available on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Pinar Toprak. You're listening to Score the Podcast. Now let's go back to the show. Welcome back to Score the Podcast, presented by Spitfire Audio. We're here with Oscar winner Ludwig Göransson, the Mandalorian man. When I first heard this score, I think I was in the same boat as everyone else, where I thought I was. I had expectations of a Star Wars sound, like we've all heard, and this was something completely different. And I loved it so much. And I'm wondering when you got brought onto the project with uh, John Favreau. Was there a discussion about, like, we don't want the Star Wars sound? Or did you present ideas that were different and they said, let's go a different route? What was that discussion like? It's the first time I worked with John Favreau. Um, John Favreau knew about me because of Ryan Coogler and Donald Glover. Um, he worked, he was working with Donald Glover, I think, on Lion King. And, and That's right. they had a conversation about me and... and um, I think John also really kind of liked what I did on Creed. Hmm. Um, and like one of our early conversations um, was him telling me that, you know, he, he sh I, I actually went into his office. It's a good story. I went into his office in Playa del Vista and I walk into a room where he is. I know he's going to be in this room and I just walk in there and on the walls, the, all the walls are just covered in artwork from Mandalorian. And I was, 
I mean, I knew it was going to be different, but like, I, I, I never been in a room like that and just seeing, I was seeing all the images and all the characters and the planets. And, and immediately I understood that this is something very different. And that's something that one of the first things that creative talks that John's told me, like, I want to do something different here. Um, so, and that was very reassuring for me and also very comforting because the most, it, it would have been really difficult if he was like, we going to do, I want you to use the Star Wars theme, but make it different like that. Um, so already from the get-go, he kind of put me in a position where, where, where I was very comfortable and I felt like he trusted me. Is there any inspiration from working on the, the Creed and that kind of sound? Because you have like the kind of Rocky Conti trumpet feel in there a little bit. It seems like there's a little bit of inspiration there. Was that ever in your mind? It wasn't. Um, it wasn't in my mind. Uh, like, oh, I want to grab something from what I did with Creed, but um, um, you know, something that was in, something that I was listening to a lot at the time was, um, like early. Like, I was like, okay, well, what? Where was John Williams when he was writing this music? Where you know, in 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 the seventies, what what was his score? What did his music sound like? What was his experimenting with? What um, so I listened to a lot of his pre-Star Wars scores that the more non-familiar John Williams music, and um, and I was just fascinated with some of the things that he experimented with, like the synthesizers and drums and orchestras and. Uh, I think there was one score in particular that I loved called um, uh, Earthquake. Mm-hmm. Uh, Did I don't you know score you know Earthquake? That. I know the movie, yeah. and I don't think I've ever. <laughs> it's really funny. Part of it is filmed up at Lake Hollywood, uh, above oh. Beechwood Canyon. There's a dam, and they use it for Earthquake. I didn't realize John scored it. Was it a different kind of score? I I, I actually didn't see the movie, but I uh, bought the vinyl. And I love the score, especially the main, I mean, the main title, the main theme, the main title theme is incredible. Uh, it's a really cool mix with, with guitar, like drums, guitars, bass and orchestra and, and some synths. And so I was trying to, I was very interested in what the mindset John Williams was at the time before he, uh, what led him to write Star Wars. Have you met John Williams? No. That's remarkable. I'm sure too. that's on the list. I did. Uh, I was very close to him uh, when I went to USC, and he came, I think, to our school to talk. But I didn't say hi. The Mandalorian has a ton of music, and it, I think yeah. it's really cool that you released every episode as its own album. Um, was that a discussion early on as well that this was going to be really heavy with music? The show? No. Um, I mean, we kind of, I think from the very first spawning session we had and when we started, when I started to see, I started, like, I wrote music way before they started shooting the show. Mm. Off the script? Like our, are those pictures? or Yeah. yeah. Off the pictures and off the scripts. Um, and after my first meeting with with John Favreau. Um, and at the time, this was, I started in October. Um, I can't remember what year, 2018. And uh, I I had worked 
on I had just done I think Venom and Creed. Oh, that's right, Venom. Yeah, Creed two. Um, so I was, and I like I also never really took in a break, but <laughs> I felt at the time when I started writing, uh, when I was starting writing on the Mandalorian, that I needed a break from computers and from screens. So I just uh, filled up my studio with live instruments, like the piano. I I, I, I put everything out and so it was really easy to just kind of walk around. What is that thing that we just listened to? Is it a flute, a shakuhachi of some kind? It's a recorder, bass recorder. Really? A bass recorder? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I, that was one of the first things I did was to buy a set of recorders. It was five different recorders. Um, I used to play, I mean, everyone played recorder in school. Hot cross buns, baby. I can still play it. <laughs> so is that yeah. you playing? <laughs> Yeah, so that's me playing um, the bass recorder. That was an instrument I never played before, but but it's similar to to um, it's an alto recorder what you play in school. But um, so the bass recorder just looks incredible. It's this long, yeah. and it I when as, as soon as I started playing it, it had this really beautiful sound that that was a little bit more unfamiliar to me, and so that's why I was drawn to it and. I was in the studio for about a month just playing like different intervals on the recorder and made my sound engineer probably crazy. I want to ask your method just I want to just for one second when you say you were in the studio for a month do you have a a set way I'm just curious creatively do you take phone calls do you look at emails do you look at texts or do you really try and put yourself away from the world, put a wall between you and the world so you can get the work done and concentrate and get lost in the music? Or do you do it in 90 minute periods and then you do emails and calls? How do you, how do you, what's your process for that month, for example? Um, well, I feel like, I feel like I'm in a cave. I've, I like that feeling of like working on something really intensively and just feeling like you're losing the sense of time mm. because that's that's the feeling you know and when you have that feeling you know that 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 you're doing something you love mm-hmm. um so i can remember like i don't think i looked on emails but, but like i i i remember losing the sense of time um and i was just I, you know, when you write music on a computer, it, 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 your brain does something different from when you write music on an, on an actual instrument playing and using your, you're using different parts of your brain. And also with a computer, like you can type in all the notes or, or play all the notes on a keyboard on the computer, but you're not getting anything back. You know, like the computer doesn't give you any responses. When you play an instrument, like the instrument talks to you, you're, you're getting a response from the instrument. It's, it's organic. And that was kind of, that's how I used to make music in my childhood. Um, and I, I just remember, or like I, I had a feeling that I wanted, like Star Wars to me had so much to do with my childhood. And like, it made me, uh, I don't know, it was, it was one of the most musical, the, the biggest musical memories that I had as, as a child. And, and, 
I can I, I wanted to bring that back again, and I think through this process, it was it, it became. Um, I love that. Yeah. Now with Mandalorian season two, they didn't waste any time. Did they shoot all this at once, or did they just get right back out there? And are you, were you already writing music for season two, um, like you did before without seeing pictures? Uh, Dave shot it. They sh- they sh- they didn't shoot everything at once. They shot every. I think they shot season two. They shot it a couple of months ago. Uh, they just been They just wrapped. I think before the pandemic. Um, and I'm I'm just about to get started writing on it. Nice. Is it a little bit easier for you to to dive in now that you've created kind of the world of your sound for the Mandalorian? Yeah, it's 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 easier because I know. You know, I, I have a place to to go, or I, I have a place to start. <laughs> I wonder if you can stay with your cave analogy on this one, because so often you get busy. But I really love. I think that was a very wonderful reminder, certainly for me. Of there is a conversation you have with your instrument, which I haven't really thought of it till you said it. When you mm-hmm. sit at an instrument, when you have an instrument in your lap, when you have an instrument and you're blowing air through it, you are having a physical conversation that's very different from, you know, T-Bone Burnett, the great producer and writer, once said, he can hear the little pink and green squares being dragged across his screen when he listens to a lot of film music these days. You know, he's saying that he just hears a Pro Tools session uh, and... I thought that was a funny thing, but the way you said it, and he likes to get a whole room full of players and yeah. and just make music. And it, I've often said, man, we could do this, you know, faster, easier with, uh, wait, do we have to have that guy come from Memphis to play piano? <laughs> T-Bone, there's so many great players here. He'd say, that guy is the guy we need. Yeah. And he was always right. You know, that yeah. guy has a voice. That guy had a style for whatever it was. And you've reminded me that dragging little pink and green squares, it's cool, but it's different from blowing through a bass recorder. It's just different. Yeah. Hey, you know, we're kind of getting close to our to our hour mark here, Ludwig. I know that you worked with certainly, I mean, a lot of our favorite artists, uh, Donald. Uh, I just, I think... We were curious. I know you were working on Community. When he played you some initial music um, and said the name was Childish Gambino, do any of those things, I mean, you'd be too polite, I'm sure, but did you ever think, I don't know, man, it's a stretch? Or did you think, Donald's really got something going on here? Uh, That's funny because... um yeah, I worked with him on the show. He had just moved to uh, LA from New York. I had just moved to LA from Sweden, and uh, he reached out to me after we met because um, I wrote a, a, a musical re- arrangement of "Somewhere Out There," and he came to my studio to sing it with uh, his uh, co-actor Danny Pudi. A couple of days later, he emailed me and it's like, hey, I'm also a musician, a rapper, um, and I'm about to put my mixtape out and I need some help. I don't know anyone in LA that does mixing or music. So do you know anyone or can you help? And and I think in the first, when he sent that email, I was like, 
I was a little bit like, okay, well, he's an actor. I didn't know he was doing music. I mean, he had a good voice because he sang on that song. But I was a little bit like, okay, he's, he's an actor that thinks he does music. Uh, but then when he sent his a song, I think it, it was called um, So Fly was the first song he sent me. And immediately when I heard it, I was like, okay, well, this guy's clearly... Uh, I was like, he's not an actor, he's actually a musician. <laughs> um, so uh, I was really impressed and I was like, hey, this is incredible. I'd love to you know, collaborate with you. Uh, what if we record some drums here and some guitars here? And I went to his, um, to his loft in downtown LA. Um, there was an earthquake in the middle of when we were working. We, just, <laughs> we ran down all like 15 flights of stairs. Um, but we just, we had bonded and, and we worked together ever since then. That guy, I, I just have to say, I've been, when I first realized that Donald Glover was blowing up, I, I religiously watched Derek comedy, his YouTube videos when I was growing up. And when I yep. finally saw him kind of, you know, coming to the mainstream, I, I didn't know he was childish Gambino though. He must just be hilarious to work with though. Cause the guy's just on all the time. He's an improv guy, right? I mean, his is, he is a, he's a real artist. I mean, he's, he's the way that he can, combine and do multiple you know mediums and he's a renaissance man i would say you know he, he can he can do so many things and it's just <clears throat> always so in, it's so inspiring to be around i was just thinking did he when he sent you so fly was there a little note attached it said oh p.s i'm about to change culture around the world momentarily so i hope you like my song because i'm not only an actor i'm a an intellectual and a cultural uh, thinker and a huge artist and we're going to make work that will change everyone i mean that's what's incredible to me is that between donald and ryan you're actually two of our most and and you you know this is this is the the leading edge the bleeding edge of cultural shifts i i must say that Listening to your explanation that I heard of how you wrote the Killmonger theme reminded me that composers are great thinkers. You're not just good with the music. You have to think about yeah. the, the aspects of who that character is, what story you need to tell. And I just loved hearing that. I think you must be challenged on the picture that is your most recent with Chris Nolan, because he's a great thinker too, and we're all going to listen. I'm mm-hmm. I'm excited about that one. I got to tell you. Yeah, no, we we I'm I'm super excited. I just I finished it. We I wrapped my part a couple of couple of weeks ago. So um, and and yeah, like like I've been f- so fortunate in my career so to work with like these geniuses, and 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 I think that's why. It feels so easy for me because you know, like you said, like if you if you have a conversation, it's about a character and what they're going through, and and if you're working with a director and artist, they can really communicate and explain, and give you so many more dimensions to what they're creating. It's it's it makes your life so much easier. Oh, how was how great. was it with uh, Chris Nolan collaborating? Did he come to your studio? Um, is he musical? Did you guys, you know, was he, was he telling you 
emotionally how he wants things to sound or does he know how to speak the musical language? Absolutely. He's, he's so, um, I think, you know, he, he, he can talk so much about music and he, I, I, and I understand now that he can talk about costume designs. He can talk to actors. He can talk to composers the way like he, like he's, he talks about music, like as a composer himself, almost like he is his knowledge of music. It's, it's very deep. And, um, in fact, we started, I started working with him like, uh, like three or four months before they started shooting the movie. And just by having conversations and meetings once a week and through those meetings, I started writing music. I read the script and started writing music and he would, uh, we would meet once a week. I would go to his office and, and we would sit and listen to it over and over and then discuss certain parts of it what we liked and certain instruments what we didn't like or what you know what he responded to and i got a really good sense of of where he was trying to go uh with the movie and um and i was it was every every time every meeting we had i was just more and more impressed by his his deep musical knowledge and and you know i played him music that inspired me he played music that inspired him uh and it's funny i was i remember one of our one of the scoring sessions we had uh, with the orchestra in in LA, I think it was at Warner Brothers. No, it was at Fox, I think. Um, he had, uh, we were recording some brass and strings and I was, I was like in the middle of listening and rec- like recording and, and we, we stopped the music and I had a note to the horns. I was like, hey guys, in 20, measure 23, uh third horn i think was a little flat and then i heard a voice in the back and it was actually chris i thought chris was talking to someone i I didn't think he was listening but chris was like actually ludwig i think it was measure 17 i was like okay (laughs) oh damn checkmate (laughs) that's beautiful and that's incredible i just love the fact that you are getting the opportunity just as an artist yourself to hear great artists talk about their films and their thoughts. I mean, it's just one of the great benefits. People don't often realize the composer is a filmmaker. One of the things I saw from the great composers is that they were filmmaking alongside the directors. And Mm -hmm. um, to, to be in those conversations is a prize. It's actually a kind of, it's the dessert on top of everything else that you're doing is that you get to, I mean, just hearing you, I'm on the edge of my seat hearing, man, what would it be like to be with Chris Nolan or Ryan Coogler talking about what this scene and this character means to him? You're being in, you're being allowed into a great storyteller's imagination. And then you have mm-hmm. this assignment, which always scared the shit out of me. Go make music out of what I just told you. I thought the great composers are great for a reason. That is so hard. And Ludwig Göransson yeah, nails it. Yeah, I love it. how we went from Crushes hearing Metallica it. in the basement to accepting the Grammys for both the best score and the best song in the same year, which I don't think anyone's ever done before. We can look up on that research. But We're going to go with an, no. We have incredible, unique. incredible 
career thus far and super excited for everything in the future. And we know you're so busy, Ludwig. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Ludwig, today. what a pleasure. I've really enjoyed it. Next time we meet, I will remember every detail of the big year to share with you. <laughs> I'll go back and listen to that score and remember why I love the score. And God bless Steve Martin. For that uh, reminder to our listeners, you can follow us. There's a number of ways. Twitter, at Score the Podcast. Instagram, at Score Movie. Facebook, Score a Film Music Documentary. Be sure to send your questions in. Score the mailbox at epiclef.com. And uh, stick around after the show today. We're going to play you a little clip from Spitfire Audio so you can hear how to elevate your music. Robert, take it away. Hey, Ludwig, keep rocking. <laughs> uh, we won't bother you on your year off. Just you and Mrs. and Apollo. The child. Enjoying each other. I salute you. Thank you, uh, Robert, Kenny, and Carol. It was really great to spend some time with you guys. I'm happy uh, you invited me for this conversation. And um, hopefully we get to do it some next time in person. In person. Yes. I love that. Plenty more to talk about, that's Lots for sure. Ludwig, yeah. thanks so much, man. Thank you, man. All right. Thank you, guys. What a great show, and how cool to have Ludwig just dug that immensely. Score listeners, we're so grateful for the support of Spitfire Audio. They collaborate with people like Hans Zimmer and the Bernard Herrmann Estate to build sample libraries that elevate your music. You're about to hear a musical demo of what that sounds like. That's right, and as an exclusive to Score listeners, remember that promo code SCORE2020. You're going to get 20% off your first order of Spitfire products. Good on over 50 of the libraries exclusive to you, our favorite listeners. Uh, just go to their website, spitfireaudio.com, and you use the promo code on the site so they know we sent you. Here is a musical demo, a, a cue created using the BBC Symphony Orchestra package. Check it out.
Again, use that promo code SCORE2020, save 20% off your first order with Spitfire. I think it's a good time to say goodbye, and we'll see you next week. What a great time we're having here. We'll see you next week.